Hello and welcome to the Lore of the Cards podcast, episode 4, The Lurker Below. The podcast that uses Hearthstone as a vehicle to unpack the dense and sometimes complex lore of the Warcraft universe. Last episode, we finished the tale of Gul'dan, the great betrayer of the Horde, selling out his own people in his quest for unlimited power. Gul'dan's skull became a powerful conduit for demonic energy and eventually ended up in the hands of the demon hunter Illidan Stormrage, transforming him into a half-night elf, half-demon hybrid. After being banished from his own people, Illidan was found by one of the lieutenants of the Burning Legion. 10,000 years ago, Illidan had been instrumental in defeating the Legion when they first invaded Azeroth. Illidan feigned obedience and the demonic power gifted to him by the Legion aided in their defeat. Kil'jaeden was willing to forgive Illidan's betrayal, so long as the Demon Hunter helped deal with another traitor of the Legion, the Lich King. The Lich King ruled the Undead Scourge, which devastated the Eastern Kingdoms of Azeroth in preparation for the Legion's second invasion. The Legion's attack ended in defeat, partly due to interference from the Lich King. Illidan agreed to kill Jaden's offer. His first attempt failed. Illidan tried to use an artifact called the Eye of Sargeras, which he learnt about from the Skull of Gul'dan. He tried to tear apart the continent of Northrend with it, where the Lich King resided, but he was stopped by his brother Malfurion Stormrage and the Night Elves. Illidan retreated back to Outland and claimed the world for himself, defeating the pit lord Magtheridan, who ran roughshod over Outland. By claiming Magtheridan's Black Temple for himself and removing the Legion's hold upon Outland, Illidan hoped he could hide away from Kil'jaeden. This didn't help. The Demon Lord found Illidan, but gave him one last chance to destroy the Lich King. Kil'jaeden had noticed Illidan had rallied two powerful allies under his banner, the Serpentine Naga, led by Lady Vash, and the Blood Elves under the command of Prince Kael'thas Sunstrider. Perhaps this time, things would go differently. Illidan's force marched on Icecrown, the realm of the Lich King. Once again, his quest ended in failure the demon being left to bleed out in the snow after being defeated by the Lich King's champion, Arthas Menethil. Varsh and Kale were able to recover Illidan's beaten body and retreated back along with their remaining forces to Outland. Illidan knew his second failure would attract Kil'jaeden's ire, so immediately set about further establishing himself on Outland, strengthening his defences. His army grew, and food and water were scarce in Outland. To resolve this, Illidan sent his trusted servant, Lady Vash, to secure the resources in one of the few regions that still had them, Zangar Marsh. Vash and her people were well suited to the watery terrain of Zangar Marsh. The marsh had once been a great sea, but now was a swampy mire of islands and waterways. It teemed with wildlife and was home to a considerable population of Draenei and their mutated cousins, the Broken. The Draenei were pushed back to their main refuge, Telrador, and the Broken were captured and forced into slave labour by the Naga. 
The broken slave labour put together the towering Coilfang Reservoir at the heart of Zangar Marsh. This massive stronghold housed a huge network of complex machinery designed to leach the water from the swamp. This threw the marsh's delicate ecosystem out of balance, but ensured Illidan's forces would never go thirsty. Despite the fact Illidan was actually building his army to defend against and fight the Burning Legion, the Alliance and Horde upon Azeroth had no idea. Kil'jaeden's forces reopened the Dark Portal from which the Orcs had first invaded Azeroth. Kil'jaeden's forces then attacked the Horde and Alliance, luring them through the portal to Outland. The Alliance and Horde would no longer ignore any demonic threat, and they perceived one of these to be Illidan. The Alliance and Horde campaigns eventually led them to Zangar Marsh. The Alliance had a keen interest in the region, as the Draenei had joined their ranks, and they were eager to rejoin with their brethren at Telrador. The Draenei at Telrador told the Alliance of the unsettling things the Coilfang Reservoir had caused in Zangar Marsh. Disease, vanishing food sources, and rabid creatures. The Alliance resolved to put a stop to Lady Varsh's operation. The Alliance forces swam out to the reservoir and dove below the water's surface. Below, they could see a giant tube and made to swim through it. The tube was long, and many of the Alliance heroes would have been short of breath when they finally rose to the water's surface again. What greeted them at the end of their swim were the inner workings of the reservoir. Four separate entrances, leading off to different wings, each of which a sprawling network of caverns. The slave pens housed the majority of the Naga's broken slaves. They were watched over by Menu the Betrayer, a broken who had sold out many of his own kind to Lady Vash to maintain some semblance of his freedom, acting as a slave driver. The giant Lobstrock, Rockmar the Crackler, and the fungal giant Quagmiran also resided in the slave pens. These two beasts had been enslaved by the Naga and were used to subjugate various other natural races under the Naga's control. The Alliance killed Menu, Rockmar, and Quagmiran. Unfortunately, the two beasts' enslavement at the hands of the Naga had warped them. They were too far gone for the heroes to save. They had to be put down. The Underbog still remained relatively untouched by the Naga. A vast environment teeming with exotic flora and fauna. While not yet fully tapped by the Naga, the Underbog presented another issue. The Naga had been able to sway the creatures of this land to their will, which was clear with Rockmar and Quagmiran. The creatures of the Underbog could potentially be weaponized by the Naga. That's a little speculation on my part. Either way, heroes ventured into the Underbog. The region was home to two towering beasts, Hungarfen and the Black Stalker. Hungarfen used to be allied with Quagmiran but had so far eluded the Naga's control. There was no guarantee that would last, though. Hungarfen was aggressive to all trespassers in his domain, tending to his most prized possession, the ancient plant called the Underspore. 
The Black Stalker was the ruthless broodmother of the Sporewalkers in Zangar Marsh. These creatures had compact bodies, but they sat upon long, spindly legs that allowed them to catch up to prey with ease. The Black Stalker would feast upon any lesser creature it came across, and only left her lair to feast on the native sprawling people of Zangar Marsh. Heroes also found and fought the broken Swamp Lord Musalek in the Underbog, who preferred solitude rather than being around others of its kind. However, for companionship, the Broken had used his mastery of beasts to manipulate the druid Wingcaller Claw to be his companion, forcing the druid to remain in his bear form. Musalek's defeat freed Claw. While there was little Naga presence in the Underbog, they did guard a giant structure in the cavern's heart. This housed a massive tank of water, and swimming within was the fearsome Hydra, Gazan. Perhaps the most terrifying and powerful Hydra in all of Outland was a pet of Lady Varsh's, which was used to terrorise the creatures of the Underbog. Heroes were able to soon put a stop to that. The Steam Vault was the Alliance's next target. This was the mechanical heart of the Naga's draining operation. It made the whole thing possible. As a result, the heroes experienced fierce resistance when they entered. Two of Varsha's most trusted lieutenants watched over the vault's operations. Her childhood friend, Hydromancer Thespia, and Warlord Calithresh. The Warlord had earned his rank by being the first to put himself forward to be experimented upon with various mysterious substances the Naga had created. These substances augmented Calithresh's already formidable strength. Despite this, heroes were able to take down both the Hydromancer and the Warlord. The heroes also dealt with another of Vash's servants, Mechjaneer Steamrigger, a gifted gnome engineer whose illness had affected his sanity. The gnome was needed to oversee the steam vault's equipment, ensuring the pumps were working and the distillation process was administered, using the arcane-powered machinery found within the vault. The Alliance heroes had fought hard, and finally, only one wing remained. Lady Varsh's lair, Serpent Shrine Cavern. The entrance was blocked by a tremendous waterfall, but the heroes had found a way to shut it off by using the console before the entrance. They entered the lair, and were met by a giant hole in the ground. Peering down, the heroes could see a lift platform coming up toward them. It arrived. They stepped on, and were taken deeper into the reservoir, into the heart of Vash's lair. Vash made sure to keep her most powerful servants within Serpent Shrine. The hero's journey to confront her would not be easy. Hydros the Unstable was the first to confront the heroes. The water elemental sat between two columns, which channeled the blue energy into it. When the heroes came close, the energy stopped. The energy had been keeping Hydros's form stable. A poison flowed through his system, causing him great pain. He took his anguish out on the heroes. Perhaps Vash had struck a deal with the Elemental, offering him an existence free of pain in exchange for protecting her lair. Or 
Perhaps she was the one to defile the water elemental in the first place. Either way, Hydros unleashed his rage upon the heroes who were just about able to defeat him. The sea giant Morgrim Tidewalker had a host of murlocs at his command, seemingly worshipping the monster as a god. The giant's mastery over water allowed him to batter the heroes while the murlocs nipped at their heels. However, in the chaos, the heroes were able to slay the sea giant. Fathom Lord Carathress commanded the three Fathom Guards. Carabidis, the female Naga, Sharkis, the male Naga, and the broken Tidalves. This small force's defeat released their captive, Seer Olam, a confidant of one of Illidan's allies, Akama of the Ashtung Deathsworn Broken. Olam was aware that Akama was seeking to overthrow Illidan as he too thought the Demon Hunter's intent was evil. Vash, suspecting potential foul play, had captured Olam and had Carathress torture him for information. Luckily, Olam did not speak, but it was intended that he would be brought before Illidan, and he would have got the information out of Olam. Leotheris the Blind was not Vash's servant, but her prisoner. The Blood Elf had been one of five of his race sent to learn the ways of being a demon hunter alongside Illidan's Stormrage. Three died. Varadis Felsoul succeeded, and Leotheris was left broken by the experience. The insane demon hunter was exiled to Zangar Marsh and it seemed wandered into Serpent Shrine. Leotheris likely caused quite the commotion, leading to him being subdued. The heroes freed and fought the demon hunter. While insane, Leotheris maintained his agility and lightning quick reflexes. But the heroes overwhelmed him to a point where his demon within split from the Blood Elf. The Alliance bested both Leotheris and his demon. So why have I been talking about how Coilfang Reservoir was established and the terrifying foes within, you may be asking? Isn't this episode about the lurker below? Well, the final encounter for the Alliance heroes I've yet to cover in Serpent Shrine that wasn't Vaj herself is the lurker below. To flesh out this episode a bit more, I thought it'd be cool to give you more behind the lore of the raid the lurker was in. Otherwise, this episode wouldn't have been very long. The lurker was not easily found. Serpent Shrine was made up of a series of wooden platforms leading off to various caverns and chambers. The lurker was not found in any of these. Below the wooden walkways was an expansive body of water. The water was mainly clear, but for a few wooden planks arranged in a circle. Quite what possessed the Alliance to investigate this circle of wooden planks, I could not tell you. But they did. One member of the party felt compelled to fish within it. Perhaps they saw something stir under the water's surface. They sat there, patiently, for some time, when all of a sudden, they felt a bite. The Alliance hero heaved with all their might, but they needn't have. What they had hooked was already charging to the water's surface to greet the party of heroes. A huge, hulking, blue-armoured form smashed through the water. Gallons upon gallons came crashing down upon the Alliance heroes, and when they could finally see with clarity, 
The lurker below floated before them, its yellow, baleful eyes looking down at the Alliance heroes. The lurker below is a variety of Kraken, of which there are two. One is the squid-like variety, which was used as the constellation that represented Hearthstone's Year of the Kraken. This variety are servants of the elemental lord Neptulon, and normally dwell within the elemental plane of the Abyssal Moor, rather than the seas of Azeroth. Fossil evidence shows that these creatures have been visiting Azeroth, though, for millennia. The Lurker is a fish-like kraken, and was the first of these beasts to ever make it into World of Warcraft. They have armoured hides, giant fins, large mouths, dorsal spikes, and a tail similar to that of a whale's. Very little is known about them in terms of lore. It is assumed that the lurker was a pet of Varsh's, an attack dog to deal with any trespassers. Quite how this seafaring leviathan made its way to the water-starved outland is not known. Maybe Varsh bred it there and then. This kraken variety was also used by the Cavaldir to attack ships upon the seas of Northrend. Perhaps the most notable of these kraken, bar the lurker, is the sea goddess Oacha Noah. She is revered by the Tuscar race, and may very well be a lower, animal gods frequently worshipped by the troll races of Azeroth. She advised the Tuscar to stand with the Horde and Alliance in Northrend to fight the evil rising there in the Wrath of the Lich King expansion. Oacha Noah may well just appear as a kraken, as she does not display any of the species' usual aggression. Once fished up, the lurker almost immediately attacked. As well as packing a ferocious bite, the lurker had many other abilities at its disposal. It could make steaming hot geysers erupt below the feet of its attackers, battering and scalding them. The lurker would whirl in place, knocking back all within melee range, giving the beast space to fire a volley of powerful ranged attacks at the heroes. The lurker's signature move, depicted in its Hearthstone card, was Spout. A concentrated jet of water spewed from the lurker's mouth, pulverising any it hit as the beast rotated in a circle. The heroes needed to jump from the wooden planks and hide in the water, or constantly run around the lurker to dodge this attack, or risk being blasted away. Occasionally, the lurker would take a minute and hide away from the heroes, submerging itself, perhaps gathering more water for more spouts. The heroes had no rest though, Naga soldiers charging them. The heroes needed to deal with the Naga quickly, as the Lurker only took one minute to ready itself for battle again. If the Naga were still present, the heroes would need to fight the Lurker and the Naga. Eventually, after a hard-fought battle, the Lurker below was slain. When it was current, the Lurker below encounter was considered the easiest fight in Serpent Shrine, so much so that guilds looked to skip Hydros so that they could fight the Lurker first as a warm-up. This, as well as a bug which allowed the Lurker to respawn after a soft reset of a raid, saw players give this boss the dubious honour of being titled The Loot Below, as gaining loot was pretty much guaranteed. So, there you have it, the lore behind the Lurker Below, and the complex in which the beast could be found, the Coilfang Reservoir. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, tell your friends about this podcast, give it a review on iTunes, or follow it on Spotify. 
If you're watching on YouTube, like, share, subscribe, ding the bell, and maybe make a sacrifice to the almighty algorithm. Then more shall come to learn of Warcraft lore. Since we've been around water a lot today, I see no reason to get out just yet. Today's bestiary entry takes a look at the aquatic frenzy. These piranha-like fish can be found throughout Azeroth. They have also been known to be spotted in Outland, but only in the presence of the Naga. It is thought that perhaps the Naga took some of these fish with them to the Broken World. This would have been wise as they make excellent guard dogs. Frenzies are highly aggressive and attack with a rapid series of bites, navigating through water with ease. One variety of frenzy, the Loch Frenzy, can be fished for. There is also a deep sea variety of this fish, with a flatter face and silvery eyes. These are a staple food of the Naga that dwell in their capital city, Nazjatar, which used to be located deep below the sea. While a few of these fish are no threat, they sometimes gather in schools which blot out all light. No flesh is left in the wake of these massive gatherings. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Lore of the Cards podcast. Let me know what other Ashes of Outland cards you'd like to see covered in the comments below. Until next time, bye bye.